This is Comic Picks by the Glick. Hey, and I'm your host, Jason Glick. How are you doing, Jason Glick? I'm doing just fine, John. How about you? Fantastic. I saw a great movie this weekend. I just wanted to say um, Django Unchained. Everyone, go see it. That's all I have to say. <laughs> yes, thoroughly entertaining. Maybe not, maybe not Quentin Tarantino's absolute best, but certainly one of his most purely entertaining. Absolutely entertaining. Yes. You know, I laughed. I cried. I laughed again. I laughed some more. It's not a comedy. He just has a way of making you laugh. <laughs> so, anyways, um, what? Yeah, and if you really like, I guess you always go and buy the uh, the, the comic book that D- DC's adapting it into. Oh well, there you go. Here's a little tie-in. Speaking of comic books, what exactly do you have on store for us tonight? Well, it's that. Well, see, since we're, it's getting to late January, it's time to finally offer up the uh, wrap up of the of the of um the past year. We're talking about the best and worst of twenty of twenty twelve here at Comic Picks by the Glick. So, yeah, it's like I mean, not everyone knows. Like I read, I read a metric fuck ton of comics over the year, and so it's like you just uh, it's genuinely um difficult. To um, try and whittle things down into um, like you know the stuff that impressed me the most. Now, granted, I mean like stuff. There's stuff that's constantly on. It's still ongoing. Stuff like Blade of the Immortal, 20th Century Boys, um, Fables, Walking Dead that you know continuously impresses me year in and year out. But you know it's like except for certain cases, you know it's like it's like I want I always want to focus on the stuff that you know like, that stands out. You know stuff that like really hits like a hot that goes out in a high. Hits hits a great beginning, or you know transitions into that you know the great series that you always know, you always knew it could be. So that's that's kind of what I focus, why what I focus on here. And generally, and yeah, naturally, any given year, Blade of the Immortal would is gonna is gonna top any list because it's that fucking awesome. But you know, not for much longer anyway. And while I was all set to anoint um, 20th Century Boys as the year's best um, comic, that didn't happen because DC because um Viz decided to uh, their their clockwork release of the series probably hit a um, hit a hitch when the, for the uh, two two volume epilogue twentieth twenty first century boys which is only reaching us just now and um you know, it's like, and you know, it could still like be my favorite series for twenty for twenty thirteen but it's got some some issues it needs to overcome that I should go and talk more in depth about um, either in its own podcast or you know, writing up um, first volume of twenty first century boys when it comes to that. But anyway, here we are. Talk about the ten best of this this past year. And let me tell you before I begin, I swear to you all, Uncanny X Force, the Dark Angel Sangha, yeah. Yes, I know that it came out um is in um twenty in twenty eleven, but it didn't reach reach me in soft cover until until this year. We have something off on by by Takeshi Obata and Tsugumi Oba. Um, Bakuman is a story of two, so you have two creators and two two aspiring manga, not really aspiring manga creators at this point, but um, two kids who start out in high school with the goal of creating great manga, and they and they go go and pitch their ideas to Jump, and they wind up get it's like, and they wind up on um, like um, becoming successful creators there. But it's only but it's only been this year that they finally um, managed to achieve what looks what um, real mainstream success with their um, series Perfect Crime Party. And um, now they're apparently like trying to find their, apparently like, transcend that and create the, you know their definitive great work that you know that they're going to because you know, this is a Shonen Jump series and they're always going to be about you know, creating the being the, like the best the best there is at anything. Now, to be fair, Bakuman um, does have um, some of the most dire, boring um, um, romantic romantic subplots like in the series, but 
where it succeeds is in is bringing and showing you a new aspect of manga creation, like in each volume. Each volume always brings something new new to the table, whether it's you know how to properly how to properly work with your editor, how to like it's like how to um, shape your series into the it's like into the uh, into, um, into being the best best that it can be. I'm um, dealing with public reaction. I'm um, dealing with creators, like fans who, you, who who are inspired to be creators by you, and also like you know, see, and and also just dealing you know, dealing with editorial with editorial demands, all this crazy stuff. It, it consistently brings something new to, new to each volume, and um, that's see, and that's why I love seeing seeing about it. I mean, it's and also just the sheer frequency at which it was delivered because it was, it was monthly for the last half last half of the year, and you can do stuff like that when the uh, when your it's like when your series is wrapped up in Japan. Granted, that doesn't seem to have um, held for, through this year, but still, it's like it was like I said, it consistently brought something new. It it each volume like um, gave us something gave us something new and interesting to look forward to with each with each installment. Now, um, number nine though, um, Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine. Now, like Marvel. Um, Uses lots of good superhero comics, but generally, but generally very few, very few great ones. And even then, um, the uh, it's like whenever it tries to um, like bring it, usually like the good good stuff really just kind of creeps up on you from the side, like Mark Wade's, like Mark Wade's Daredevil, and um, but and it really hits you from and it really hits you from front on, like whenever they do a big event, it, like it really reached, like the best one they did. I read this year was probably um, X Men Schism with um, Uncanny X. Well. No, if we're talking about like we're talking about actual events, not actual storylines. But um, terms event series go. Schism was great. Avengers was X Men, not so much. Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine, though, you know, it's like this is the kind of story that you know, if all um, mainstream superhero comics were as good, we would um, they would they would still be dominating the uh, it's like dominating the sales charts and just you know, and I like like saving off talk that like you know of the inevitable decline of Marvel and DC because it's coming. Because like not every comic is good as is as good as Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine. Because what's it about? You know, it's just you know Spider-Man and Wolverine. You know, it starts out at the end of time, and um, it's like and then with the two just like you know they, like stuck there for for reasons unknown before um before a meteor shows up and then they're thrown, thrown into the fall of Creature where everyone's where everyone's, you know, they're in a crazy post-apocalyptic environment with Devil Dinosaur, and then it just gets crazier and crazier from there as um. Like as we get, uh, we get like such crazy stuff as like Wolverine, like Wolverine inventing beer, um, Spider-Man being a teacher to um, kids in the far, far future, Wolverine dying, achieving inner peace before being brought back to life by Sp- Spider-Man, who, and it's like uh, also like Doom, the Living Planet, a gun that shoots the Phoenix Force, time traveling thugs, and like uh, and Spider-Man movement just like um, becoming um, like an, a cow- cowboy and Indian as well. I mean it's. It's got all sorts of crazy stuff from um, from writer Jason Aaron, um, who, who this isn't the last time you'll see him on this list, and um, artist Adam Adam Kubert, who is working at the absolute top of his, top of his game right here. It's great, insane, crazy superhero stuff that even manages like this nice swerve at the end that actually managed to give some manages to tie in some sort of meaning to all the craziness. So if and it's also relatively continuity light. All you need to know is that Spider Man's no longer married to Mary Jane. And which is why he's free to hit on other girls in this story, but um, but over but overall, it's like it's hands down the best thing best thing I read from Marvel this year, and um, it definitely and it's while well, it's not the best superhero series I read that'll be coming in a bit. It's like it's still 
you know, it still gives me hope that you know, like that will that will um, see more stuff like this like later on, especially from from Aaron. Now, moving up, moving up the list to number eight, we have um, series that I've that I've um, you know been not been as enthused about in the past, but in the last couple of volumes, it's really come into its own, in my opinion. That would be Hellboy, and we've got um, volume twelve here with the Storm and the Fury. This represents. Like this collects the two miniseries that basically represent the climax of um, Mignola's um, like um, collaborations with artist Duncan Figredo. and it's a water. It is a watershed moment here, basically out um, showing um, uh, Hellboy some conflict with the witch with the witch Nimue, um, um, show, um, moving to the next stage of his conflict with the Audrey Jihad, and also read, um, showing you also showing you into context you know, what is at stake here between. Between him, between him, the BP, and the fight between him, the BPRD against the against the old gods that are now not coming back to take take Earth Earth as their own, and um and it ends with well let's just say that that you know to say that I mean, it's not a spoiler to say that Hellboy dies because the next story is Hellboy in Hell, but it's a great it's a great tragic epic moment like in, a, in an epic epic series as well that also features the return of the true king of England to um lay, to lay the smack down on the bad guys. It's it's like I now like for years though it's like I me mean, like Hellboy seemed to be stuck in the like Hellboy stories seem to be stuck in the like a circle ending in the circle of like like um someone showing up to say Hellboy oh you're the beast of the apocalypse like you've got to it's like you're going to like fulfill your destiny or some such and then Hellboy like you know punching him in the face saying screw you and do whatever the hell I want. It's like this shows you that you know this is um Mignolan company moving beyond that that right here into something into something much more much different and I'm thoroughly looking forward to seeing where it, where it goes from there. Now and, and it's also one of the few Hellboy, Hellboy stories that doesn't doesn't involve Nazis as well. What does involve Nazis though was my number seven pick. That would be um, Osama Tezuka's um, message to Adolf. It's like yes, I mentioned earlier that it was that yeah, you know, it's like Tezuka can lay it on a bit thick here, and there's a lot of melodrama here. But the overall message of the story about three three people named Adolf. Yes, hit, there's Adolf Hitler. There's also Adolf um, like the um, the Japanese German. Um, kid um, Adolf Kaufman and um, Jewish, um, and the Jewish kid living in Japan, um, Adolf Camille, the, like their relationship, their relationship and how their paths inter- intertwine and inter- intersect throughout, like throughout World War Two, and just the general message of like, of, of like the virus, like the virus that is hate and how it can, how it can take take root in like in anyone's. It's like it's like in anyone's mind, given given the right circumstances, and per- perpetuate itself throughout the years. It's like it's, I mean, it's 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 tra- it's a tra- on many levels it's a tragedy. It's also a, a compelling it's a compelling political political read this year since Tezuka throws in a there's also throws in a um, subplot about the, like the true um, like Hitler's true genealogy and um. And the, and the and the efforts that everyone goes to try and get their hands on Hebrew to prove that hey he has Jewish blood in in him as well. It's it's not Tezuka's absolute best, but it's cert- certainly one of his best, certainly one of his better works, and continues to show ample reason why um he's why his nickname is the God of Manga. Hmm. Meanwhile, moving back to um gods of American comics, we have um Garth Ennis who. And for me, um, provides some of the most consistently is one of the consistently entertaining writers. And even though he, um, you know, has, has a few, um, 
you know, he likes, he's got a lot of, like, things that he um, comes back to in his works, like, you know, just, like, a love of the military, disdain of superheroes, um, like, um, British guys who are completely badass, and, um, you know, somewhat, um, like, nebbish guys who, like, eventually show their, show, show their true worth. All that stuff is present in his, in his latest series, The Boys. And while, yes, it is truly filthy, truly disgusting, it doesn't change the fact that the three volumes of it we got this year... Butcher Baker, Candlestick Maker, Over the Hill with the Swords of a Thousand Men, and The Bloody Doors Off were all payoff to um, all these years of of build up. It's like it's like a build up in drama, like with with the series. And it's it's like it showed you that like Ennis was really playing the long game here. That he had yeah, he had this he basically had this series planned out almost from the from the very beginning, and to see him like 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 like, like um like like. See its culmination. See like how all this stuff like you know finally plays out in the court course of the story. Um, it's like it's br- it's brutal, brilliant, brilliant stuff, and shows you why Ennis is is truly like um one. Of, it's like one of the best writers we have working working in com- comics today. There's a reason like like you know like yeah I'm, a, I'm an Ellis completist, but I'm also an Ennis completist as well. Because even when because even though the boys is easily the least of his three of his um four ongoing series, the others being Preacher. Punisher Max and Hitman, it's still there's still like plenty of stuff that that, to, uh, that, that I can say say about it to, rec- to recommend it and say that it's still worth your time. Okay. Another series that also um, dealt, gave us a lot of good payoff this year was um, Joe Hill's um, Lock and Key. See, I I don't I've been gotten the first two volumes like this this year, but I didn't really really get into it when I got until I got volumes three and like three and four. And um, I've gotten fur- even sucked even further into the story of the uh, say, the Locke family and their it's like, and the, and the um, keys that have and the keys that 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 circle around their like their estate. It's like it's it's like even like and um, Joe Hill tells like a great compelling um, supernatural mystery that also that also has like lots that does like lots of memorable well well defined characters and a su- and a villain who. Was equal parts like you know truly um sublimely malicious, but also like tragic in the way that he's that he's also a pawn of the um real the real evil force evil um like Lovecraftian force behind all, behind all this, um um but Tower Volume Five though Volume Five delved into the backstory of the uh, like it's like of the Locke family and showed you just you know what what the previous generation was up to like with all the keys. And just how things um like um spiraled in, into the present, it's like it's a it was a great um compelling um like payoff to like years to years of build up, and I and like and it also sets things sets things up for the um for the climax in Omega, which is being serialized right now, and I just can't wait to get it get my hands on it. You know, I want to say that yes, you can expect to see see me talk about the series again next year once. Once I get that final volume, because like everything that's set up here, oh, so good, oh man, great, great, compelling stuff. Yeah. Also, e- also equal parts disturbing and compelling. It's my number four pick. That would be um, um, Durf Backdurf's My Friend Dahmer. Now, in case now in case you missed me talking on um, my review of this, this is the um, strange, stranger than truth story about. See, about um, as, like no, Durf's not his real name. His real name's John, but he just goes by the pen name of Durf. But um, but Mr. Back Durf, he actually went to high school with Jeffrey Dahmer, and 
and it's, this is in the, and in this this graphic novel is his is his meticulously researched story that not only tells you his experiences with Domber, who was just this crazy um spastic kid in his it's like in his high school, just you know like the one the one you kind of who would yeah you joke about him becoming a serial killer, but nah, this stuff isn't ha- this just doesn't happen. Combined with his um, but also he um he also goes and researches all through all the um all the news articles and interviews about about Dahmer to give you like a fully realized portrait of the, of the individual at like in his, in his high school years. I mean, tragic thing is, I mean, like these high, his high school years were for a good amount of time, like the happiest times in his life. And this is also, this is also even when like, um, the author who uh, he and several of his friends remember the Dahmer fan club and how they just kind of encouraged his, just crazy special behavior. Say, but to me, for me, like the most, the best part of the book, the most telling thing about it, is the epilogue where his wife calls him and tells him that you know one of your one of the people you went went to school with, he was, it's like you know he like like he um he like he's been arrested and it's like it's like he's like he's like who was it was it was it Fig? She's like no. It's like was it Dahmer? Like, yes. It's like Dahmer was his second choice. I mean that, that gets me every single time. He should have. I swear to God, he should have put that first just to let you know that you know that Dahmer was never his first choice for like, you know being the serial killer, but that's how it turned out. Like I said, stranger than fiction, but thoroughly compelling it. Like nonetheless, then there's also the then there's also like fiction that is just plain strange, beautiful because of it. Then we this is my number three pick, um, the Manhattan Projects on um, Volume One, Science Bad. By Jonathan Hickman with art by um, Nick Patara. This now, let me just put this into context by saying that you know there's 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 always a point in like movies or fiction or books or any kind of fiction where you get the uh, the scientist guy go like you know starts talking about his this stuff and it goes like and you'll think oh this is just bad man like no th- this is gonna like gonna like ruin worlds people are gonna die because of this. Manhattan Projects basically um is a um basically takes that kind of thinking and just goes. Yeah, you know, we're going to start from, like, you know, scientists doing all this crazy shit. And, yeah, we know it's going to turn out bad. And we're just going to go run with it right to the end. And the beautiful part is, is that it's, it takes, it gives us all these great twisted versions of, it's like a, a famous scientist, famous scientist, such as Albert, like, Al, Albert Einstein, who, you know, is not quite the genius you think he was, he, he is for reasons that, for reasons which you'll, you'll, you'll find out soon. Um, Joseph Oppenheimer um, who, uh, well, let's just say that he also, he also found out, found out, found out about his brother, who uh, is, well, he doesn't say his brother's got problems. And um, Richard Feynman, who um, takes, probably takes more cues than he should from, from Dr. Stuart Smalley. Um, Werner von Braun, who's got a robot arm. And also, it's like, and also their, their, um, general, their general, who um, who's leading the Manhattan Projects into this, into this, all this crazy science, scientific stuff. It's just like, you know, science, especially like, you know, just scientific pursuit of science, just like with all the, all the breaks and the safety's thrown off. And, and it was just like, and it's also a great show, great showcase for, for, um, for Hick, for Hickman's, um, 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 for Hickman's imagine, imagination. That's how all the crazy stuff he, he cooks up here. It's like, he's also, and he's also got a, like ongoing story here. Cause like, you know, they, they, they go off to space. They um, commit genocide, and um, hey, that's only that's only the tip of the iceberg here. It's gonna, be, it's only gonna be like you know, gonna be like weirder and wilder from here on out. And I'm thoroughly looking forward to seeing how that turns out. Now, 
I said earlier that you know Jason Aaron. This is the first time you first that you'd hear him on this podcast. And hey, here we go. It's like you probably all saw this coming. My number two pick, scalped by Aaron Armguera and a host of other talent, talented artists. This also this is another series that reached its, its climax um, this year and also delivered on years of pay, payoff. But was was scalped and always like even though it could get crazily over the top. Um, with, with its violence, it still felt thoroughly grounded in real, real human human emotion and, and action. It's like with um, like the story of Dash Bad Horse, undercover FBI agent, um, on on an Indian, Indian reservation. He finally finally fulfills his mission, and he finally he finally fulfills his mission. He gets he gets Red Crow, um, hit um Chunka the uh, hit the. Uh, the um, Red Crow's gay second second man finally um, he finally reaches the end end of his arc and we and it's and it's tra- tragically sad. Um, Red Crow's daughter um, also like finally finds her own her own path as well. And like uh, it's it's all this crazy all this crazy payoff, but it, and also still still feels like truly deser- deserved and it's like and earned. For, for, like for, from the journey as well, and also benefits greatly from from Guer- from Arm Guerra's um great great expressive um you could almost say cra- cra- crazily over the top art, but it works um it works vi- like very well with the, st- the story here and after like um and even though the story itself you know it also mentions the neat trick of like you know being um like having its characters like you know just be uh yeah like like they go to some really dark, um, like depressing places, and then like once they get to the, once they get there, like Aaron throws him a shovel to um, get even dig him even um, further down. It never become like like a grind or or it's like or depressing or depressing to read. I mean, it's like it, there's all there's also crazy joy at the heart at the heart of it, like just to say you know what what's going to happen next. I mean, it always like it always felt true to the characters, and that's. That's what that's what I love about it. That's also can be said of true my number one pick of the year, and it was it was tough trying to think of a, one that like really impressed me the most. But you know, in the end, like this is another series that wrapped up, and I just kept coming back to this. I mean, it its characters, its political relevance, and its ending. It's it's the most perfect ending for a series for a series that I've seen in quite quite some time. The one that because like it because it's in character. He had a message. He wanted. That, that he wanted to say, but in order to make it, but in order to um, make this message work, um, he had to um, take the fall for lots of for all the things he'd done, even some of the things he didn't. Talking about um, Matty Roth and Brian Wood and Ricardo Bricelli's DMZ. It was like it's story of the um, second American American Civil War, and the two volumes we, we um, that wrapped it up here both showed you how Ma- how Matty. Um, Thoroughly, like thoroughly in disgrace after his efforts to um, try to be a player in the um, misca- in the um, failed um, regime of um, of Manhattan Governor Parco, Parco Delgado, now like with now with a new remit um, to investigate to um, cover the uh, cover the uh, conflict with for Liberty News, um, Maddie finally get, finally finds himself in it with a chance to not only just redeem himself redeem himself but end the war. Now that he managed to pull this off and. That it, it's not that just they managed to pull this off, but awful, but after years of just you know Maddie, um, you should know being like you know dumb, like you know just seem like like for years. I mean, when I just read the series, I mean like you know Maddie, he's 
not the kind of not the brightest um like not the brightest um, um brightest bulb out there. He's not the sharpest tool in the shed either. But um so when he finally decided, oh I'm gonna step up and become a player, it's like oh god he's gonna he's gonna fuck this up big time and fuck it up he did. So so but um but even then like that also but looking back seeing it all together like that was all like Wood had this planned out and it was gutsy of him to try and make the character you know unlikable or not someone you could really like you know want to get behind as a character but in the end you see him like you see all the like the growth that like the the, the transformation Maddie goes through over the years it's like you know like from like Ernest from Ernest reporter to it's like um like not not quite great invest investigator to um like failed political player to repentant like repentant journalist it's like and eventually it's like you know like someone who finally gets what he needs to do in order to um like in order to make not tr- truly make a difference I mean like that final that final volume when you find out that you what what is in store for him and it's like wow it's like you know it's like I understand what I understand why he did the things he he did at the end because you know like he he wanted to like tell he needed to have, to have his story about the uh, say about the um, militarized zone of Manhattan I'm um, told but in order to make in order to make that happen he needed to um he it's like it's like he couldn't just you know like like just get get a free ticket out of here he had to take he actually had to like, get um get people to look at him and say you know he got a bum rap instead of just you know being oh you you're a criminal who got off scot free it was he, it was never going to be, oh, he's, you know, free and in the clear. It was either going to be one thing or the other, but in order to message, make his message heard, he had to choose the hard thing. And that's, that's what really got me in the end about, about DMC. Highly recommended. That's why I continue to look forward to a, just about any, um, anything that, um, that Wood does in the future. So, but you know, that's the best right there. What about the worst? Well, thankfully, it's like uh, my my instincts generally lead me to, uh, well, yeah, this is bragging, but lead me to um, fewer things that, you know, that I don't, that I just, that I dislike, that I just generally don't flat out hate. That doesn't work all the time, unfortunately, and that's the case in, like, stuff like Attack on Titan, which, you know, I talk about the editorial process in Bakuman and how it's ultimately, like, that, yeah, it's like, it can be a pain to work with an editor at times, but sometimes like, they can keep you from, like, Keep you on track. Make uh, make sure you release the best work possible. Attack on Titan seems to be a work that like circumvented the edit- editorial process entirely, and just like it's got bad, really bad art for the first volume, for the first couple, first two volumes, some like questionable storytelling choices. It's like and and a cast of characters that I generally don't don't care care too much for. It's like I thought this that its story of like, you know, of a giant you know, attacking a um, medieval esque world um was going to be uh like different from like Kodansha's uh like usual stuff. Um that they um they're aiming at, you know, kids and all. But no, this one this one probably is you really have to be a kid with, with even dubious taste to appreciate this. Then and also read lots of Star Wars comics over the over the year, which I most of which I really enjoyed. Most of them coming from John Ostrander as well, as, as um, Star Wars Legacy wrapped up this year and delivered two new, two solid new starts to to um, series of miniseries with um, with Agent of the Empire and um, and um, Dawn of the Jedi. Um, however, uh, 
this year also saw the continue the final chapter in um, Mike Richardson and Rand, Randy Stradley's um, founders founders of Dark Horse and the publisher and uh, chief chief creative officer respectively, and Paul Goulet's the artist um, Crimson Empire series, which supposedly been in the works for years. I just given up hope on seeing it completed. Having read the final final product, it could have just stayed gone. Like like as far as I'm concerned, just they terribly terribly written series it's like with some some with some really blow par overcolor overcolored art that um just seemed to like take joy in like jumping into the the most like like the most like um like cliched and like um like situations with abandon i mean like, yeah you get the feeling that this is that they're just like having a joke at our expense when the the, the people perpetrating this joke are the uh People who run the company just get the feeling that they're just like, you know, just say, hey, you know, we can do this, we can get away with this because you know, we run the company, we can we can just get, we can do whatever the hell we want. And good God, like this is like that's the uh, that's the downside of this of this happening. Uh, but however, as far as the absolute worst thing I read this year, you know, that's easy to pick. That's still Invincible Iron Man Volume Eight, unfixable, which we in which um. Otto Octavius, Doctor Octopus, makes Tony Stark his bitch. I mean, good God, it's like, uh, it's like it's a huge black mark for Tony's character. It's like, hey, Tony, you remember that time that that Otto Octavius really, really put put one over on you and like made you like, kiss his tentacles and call him master? Yeah, we're gonna be talking about this story for years. In fact, no, we're not. It's never gonna, they're gonna. Be, it, um, Fraction has Matt Fraction hasn't brought it up in the rest of his run so far. And um, no one else has mentioned it in, like, in the Marvel universe as well. In fact, this is one of those stories that people are just gonna never talk about again because it's just a, because it just like goes against everything you want to see from the character, and it's like, and it's just like, oh, good God! I mean, who thought this was a good idea in the first place? I mean, by the, when this the story rolled around, it just kind of like, killed like a lot of momentum and appreciation I had for um fractions um Iron Man run like Stone Dead. I mean. To be perfectly honest, I mean, like, I'm amazed that he has managed to that he and artist Salvador Larocca have managed to crawl up from this like dire um, story arc with their last their two most recent volumes toward to the point where I'm actually you know starting to look forward to the series again. That's impressive. It doesn't change the fact that they shouldn't this shouldn't have happened in the first place. Can't imagine just, you know what Marvel that what Marvel editorial was thinking about when they just like when they let him get get away with this. I mean. Jeez, I mean, yeah, we know they're, they're that fraction in the work of a team or a team that's been working working well together for years. That's just me just rubber, rubber stamp whatever the hell they do. Good God. Oh, well. Anyway, a couple more things. Favorite new character of the year? That'd be Lucky Abrams from Blood Blockade Battlefront. Because, you know, he's a guy who's been cursed and cursed and cursed and cursed some more. Like in his making his quest to get, you know, um, root out the baddies in, in New Jerusalem. But he's been cursed to the point where, you know, the curses stop working against him. Like, they're all, they all cancel each other out, and they'll just attract all sorts of carnage to the people around him. Like, he's the kind of guy who, who when you get, like, this, this giant, like, um, Chthonic-esque monster just, like, flying right towards him, um, it'll, it'll, like, fly right around him and hit the, uh, hit the and hit the bus right next to him. So, it's... He's a fun. He's a fun character, and I certainly hope Dark Horse publishes more um, volumes of the series. We've got three so far, but three is like you know the point when Dark Horse you know starts canceling the uh, like 
their series that aren't selling selling well. Love to see more, but we'll see. Also, probably my favorite single issue of the year was Omnictomorph from um, Grant Morrison's Batman Incorporated, um, drawn by Chris Chris Burnham. It, it showed you um like his um his his um Batman's uh, Morrison's approach to the Batman to um, Batman Incorporated. Uh, it's Batman as a franchise, as a worldwide franchise in general, and it was, it was truly spectacular. And just, just, just the way it showed all the, it's like all, the, all the bat, it's like you know Batman, like you know outlining his plan, it's like his plans for all of his people, like world, worldwide, showing you setting up um, Dick and Damien in Gotham, like and also just like you know doing a nice little trick on the um some of the uh, guys in the in it's like in the opening sequence, it it was. Yeah, it was just like one of those things. Where you're just like, you're like, wow! I'm just amazed that Morrison was able to like not only just cram all this information into a single issue, but also just do it, just do it um, seamlessly and like and effectively. It didn't it didn't feel rushed? Didn't feel out of place? It's like it was just just like a thr- like a thrilling read from begin from beginning to end. And I'm thoroughly looking forward to seeing the conclusion of his this Batman run next um like this this year. So that note. Well, we've reached the end, and um, so like, hey, that's that's why I thought about 2012. Like, certainly, like any year where I have to like you know whittle down a list in order to you know get get my um get my picks, or you know in this case, you know actually just like I actually was able like this year I was able to think of like, hey, this is what my favorite series was. So, so I'm looking forward. So I'm looking forward to next year. I'm looking forward to like looking forward to finally re- to reading um re- inclusion of 20 21st century boys. Look forward to hope maybe we'll see the end of end of Bakuman as well. We've also got um, other, it's like lots of other new series as well. Like new, it's like hey, like me, this could be the year that you know the series I thought were going to be like the best of the year, like Saga and Fatal, that they really come into their own and show me like hey, you know this is this is like why you should have included them on the list this year because make no mistake, I like I like them, but they didn't give me like the shock that like even though image continues to be like you know like, like the. Uh, all the deliver all the crazy new stuff. Um, Manhattan Projects was my pick. Was my favorite of all the new, all the great new image stuff. Any thoughts, John? Lots of thoughts. <laughs> After that <laughs> pause. Hmm. Yes. Yes. Lots of thoughts. No. Um, a good summation of uh, a lot of the, the stuff that you read last year. It's very cool. Um, uh, I am looking forward to, um, actually seeing what comes out this year, not just in the comic book, but in comic book movies. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, well, I mean, we got Iron, we got Iron Man three. Yep. We've got, um, I think Thor, like the second Thor two is coming out later this year, okay. uh, this year as well. Wells. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, those things. Well, actually, and then this is not technically a comic book movie, but Star Trek is coming out, and I really want to see that one. A lot of hush-hush on this one as well. Yeah, because that's how J.J. Abrams rolls, and I'm just like, yeah, he's just, uh, like, yeah, he just ripped up the, the fanboys and doing friends by doing absolutely nothing. Well, I'm not falling for it, man. I'm, a, I'm not that much of a fanboy of Star Trek. 
<laughs> but I will tell you something about it. Um, I, I really have I, – I mean, somebody said, oh, they came out with the thing. And I read a couple of things, like a couple of uh, items on it, and I was just like, eh, who cares? Whatever. When it gets here, we'll watch it. But I'm not going to feed into that. I'm not going to feed my own hype up because, hey, what if it's not that great? <laughs> you know? But wait a second. J.J. Abrams can do no wrong. I'm like, of course he can. He's human. Yes. <laughs> yep. And this, and I guess on the, that note, it's like, yes, there's going to be lots of great stuff coming in the year. It's like, hey, in our fifth anniversary for the podcast as well. Man, we are going on a roll here. This is great. Five years, fellas. This is uh, quite an accomplishment. Maybe we'll uh, have to uh, do a few extra special podcasts um, you know, when we, come, when we come down to the wire here. But uh, maybe some changes will be coming soon. Who knows? All in store. We're still in January, so we can look down 2013. <laughs> but good enough. And with that, is that all you have for us tonight, sir? Yeah, that's it. All right. Um, we'll catch you next time on Comic Picks by the Glick. All right, laters. All right, bye.